1: Outcomes Rocket listeners, welcome back once again to the Outcomes Rocket, where we chat with today's most inspiring and successful healthcare leaders. If you like what you heard today and you like what you hear in general, please go to iTunes, subscribe, and submit a rating and review for the podcast. We love to hear from you. And this is one of the main methods of communication that we are actually able to get feedback from you so we can improve or just get... The tidbits of things that you're enjoying, so we could do more of them. And so today I have an outstanding guest. Her name is Dr. Emily Lindemer. Emily has actually been in healthcare for quite some time. Uh, she's a staff scientist at Corticometrics, they're actually a lead area that they do neuroimaging tools for the analysis of clinical MRI data. And she's also the co founder of Hey Charlie. And that's an app created to help with social rebuilding during recovery from opioid dependency. So what I wanted to do is just give a brief intro, but also open up the microphone to Emily so she could round out that introduction. Welcome to the podcast, Emily.
0: Hi, Saul. Thanks. It's great to be here. It
1: is such a pleasure to have you. We had a chance to connect before the the actual interview, Emily, and I really enjoyed just your passion for healthcare and just you know, some of those areas like social determinants of health that really strike a chord with many of our listeners. What is it that made you decide to get into the medical sector at all?
0: I think, um, my path to getting into the medical sector has been, um, a little bit of a winding road for sure. Um, I really started out in neuroscience research, very, very academic and, um, when i finished my undergrad i worked at the boston va healthcare system mm-hmm. and i was in a neuroimaging lab and i was working with veterans with ptsd and tbi and we were we we're trying to figure out you know are there changes in their brains and one thing that i really realized you know working directly with patients was kind of how far we had to go still with research and actually affecting their quality of lives. And I really, I saw myself kind of fitting into that gap, but not as much as a healthcare provider like an MD, but I, I wanted to be more of a clinical researcher kind of from there on out.
1: Interesting. Yeah. And so you, you saw that gap and you're like, I'm going to tackle this head on.
0: That is kind of what I did. Yeah. <laughs> yes. When I was looking to kind of take my career in that direction, I found this program Um, It's called Health Sciences and Technology, and it's a joint Ph.D. program between Harvard Medical and MIT. And um, what they really strive to do is train medical engineers to speak the language of doctors so they can innovate, but then also translate because those are actually, you know, two pretty different things. And the way that they do that is with the Harvard Medical Curriculum, you know, we take classes with the MD students. But then we also do several pretty intense clinical rotations at Boston Hospital, where we get a firsthand experience, what it's like to be a doctor, what it's like to be a patient and how they use the tools that they currently have and what sorts of tools maybe could be developed to make their lives easier.
1: Oh, that's really interesting, Emily. And you know, it just such a great point, right? The talents and skills that enable a researcher or a developer to put together a useful product, they really have to be hand in hand. They got to go hand in hand with the way that patients receive the care and the way that providers give the care. And so I'm sure you were able to pull out some really good learnings from your experience there. Emily, what would you say a hot topic that should be on every medical leader's agenda? And how would you say that cortical metrics or Hey Charlie is currently addressing it?
0: So I guess in line with that, that idea of translation, one thing that I've seen a lot of, especially kind of being in the MIT uh, ecosystem, as I have been and living in Boston, you know, there's a lot of great tech here. But healthcare, it's kind of this funny field, because even though it's so big, a lot of it is really kind of behind the times in terms of what we can do technologically. And so this idea of translation um, should really, really be on everyone's mind because you have great technology doesn't necessarily mean it's the best thing for those end users. In my experiences, I've seen that sometimes innovation is really getting a doctor or getting a healthcare system to stop using pen and paper and switch to digital. Right. So it, when we want to innovate, it's not always how can I make the flashiest thing with like the most advanced technology. Sometimes it's more about going back to the simpler solution.
1: I couldn't agree with you more. You know, there's a lot of companies can focus on making the shiny, making the new, and totally just miss the point that the reason why we're trying to innovate is to improve patient outcomes, not just to get a new shiny gadget in a doctor's hand. Right? Wouldn't you agree?
0: Exactly. Yes, I think you know one of the big things that comes to mind with Cortical Metrics, where I'm a staff scientist, is so we're actually taking kind of our main product is we're taking this software that has been academically developed it's really really advanced software that can take a human brain MRI automatically segment every brain structure and tell you exactly how big it is and it's really cool and there's researchers who've been doing amazing things with it for decades publishing on these academic journals and now we're trying to give it to doctors so that they can better analyze their patients brains but they've never even had a tool like this before. You know, Looking at MRIs to them historically has been visual inspection for kind of gross abnormalities. And if we just put a tool like this in their hands as it is right now, I don't think it's going to be used the way that we want it to be used. So what we're really working on now is kind of translating that it's useful now so that we can bring the field forward kind of with them.
1: Yeah, so you basically, the translation is giving them the ability to use this tool in a way that would be most useful to them?
0: Exactly.
1: Gotcha. Yeah, that's really interesting. And so, with cortical metrics, what changes? Like, what are they actually looking at? Is it more than just a visual inspection of the brain?
0: Yeah. So, one of the things that changes a lot is kind of the granularity of the tool. So, the software itself, you know, it can break the brain out into hundreds of different structures and tell you kind of exactly how big every single one is if the size of a structure has changed over time, which can be really interesting academically. But in the clinical sense, there's actually still so much we don't understand about the brain. And there are a lot of structures that aren't really clinically relevant, you know, they're not disease specific or something. And so what we need to do is kind of distill down what we're capable of giving the doctors into kind of this subset that's specific for exactly the patient populations that they're targeting and also kind of provide them reference ranges for what is normal and what is not normal similar to if you went and has like a blood panel done and they just wanted to kind of check you know are all of your your red blood cell counts or white blood cell cell counts normal similarly we want to say is this brain structure normal that kind of thing
1: got it very interesting and another application of you know what what we have could be useful but we really want to take the feedback of the end user in mind and actually listen to them and apply, distill what the technology could do in such a way that'll help them be even more impactful. Exactly. They talk about AI as a tool that's going to replace doctors, but in fact, it's not. When it's appropriately used, it's going to be an augmented part of what a doctor does.
0: Exactly. And that's one of the things we really realized too, is that no radiologist is going to take the software that we're developing and just plug it in and blindly walk away and say, oh, well, this is what's wrong with our patient's brain. And these are the findings. What they're going to do is hopefully take our tool and allow it to help them maybe see subtle abnormalities that they would have missed in the 12 minutes that they're given to read a scan, you know, kind of aid them in this visual detection and not replace them by any means.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's awesome. And what would you say something that you guys have done? It could be at Cortical Metrics or at Hey Charlie. Something that you've done differently that has improved outcomes.
0: Oh, that's a great question. So I guess I will switch to talk about Hey Charlie for a minute then sure. in that um in that regard. So just I guess a brief background on Hey Charlie is that as you said at the beginning We are helping social rebuilding for people who are in recovery from opioid dependency. And um, one thing we really notice in terms of patient outcomes is that we are a digital platform. So on the patient side, we're an app that you can download. And there are a lot of apps that you can download if you are in recovery. If you go on the app store, you will see there are a lot of sobriety trackers, a lot of craving trackers that are I think, great in concept and there are a lot of patients who find utility in those types of apps. But what we noticed was that there is no proof of outcome for any of those. So there isn't an app out there on the app store that has any sort of clinical backing for in terms of, you know, efficacy. Did it actually change the way that this patient lived their life? Did it keep them in recovery longer? And so what we're trying to do with Hey Charlie is really take a scientific approach to proving efficacy and proving those outcomes through IRB-backed studies with actual patients, you know, rather than making something that we just think will help people without proving that
1: it does. You guys are really doing something that's unique. You're working to get the facts, the data, and the backing that the activities, that the different things that you're, you're helping people do are actually helping them improve.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think that's the addiction patient population. They've really suffered because that's actually not the way that a lot of innovation in addiction medicine has happened. There's been very little innovation in this space actually You know, in the past couple of decades. And if you really do a deep dive into what's out there... So little of what we offer patients has any sort of clinical efficacy data behind it. It's very, very different from other diseases.
1: Yeah. No, that's such a great point. And with the opioid epidemic, there's definitely a a big need for more resources like this and a way to really understand if they're effective or not. So I just want to congratulate you and, and your team there for taking that big step forward. And it's an effort that's not easy. And so just want to recognize the hard work that you guys are doing to get that to happen.
0: Thank you so much. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of work, but it's really rewarding.
1: Yeah. And the thing here, too, is with tools like, like this that help manage the person, it's more of a person than a patient. And we have the opportunity to really impact health outside the walls of the hospital, that's where it's challenging. But I think that that's where the biggest opportunity is. Wouldn't you agree, Emily?
0: I completely agree. Um, I think in terms of all healthcare, all diseases, all patient populations, it really is what happens outside of the hospital walls. And that's the hardest aspect of somebody's life to impact, right? They're kind of their day-to-day. And technology is allowing us to do this. You know, almost everybody has a smartphone. You know, even... Many of the homeless people in the population that we are targeting with Hey Charlie have smartphones, which is incredible, and it really allows us that reach. But yes, I think there's so much more to healthcare than what happens in the doctor's office, than the medication that they receive. So much of it is really the kind of just day to day, their socialized, their economic status, and you know, this is something that we all know. Everyone knows that socioeconomic status is a huge determinant of health, but. We also all know that it's a very, very hard problem to tackle.
1: Totally. And what would you say one of the things that you've done that's been a setback? Maybe it's with Hey Charlie that has really led to some major learnings that have helped you make it better.
0: Yeah, um, that's a great question. So, one of the setbacks that I think Hey Charlie has faced, and um, I would say it's more, it's a challenge more than a setback, but This idea that we kind of came in for a little bit of background on this too. We were born out of a hackathon uh, by a a group called MIT Hacking Medicine. They're this organization who they put on these weekend-long hackathons, but what's really unique about them is that they start with reverse pitches. So you are only allowed to go up and pitch a problem. You have 60 seconds. You are not allowed to get up and say, hey, I have this great idea you have to come up and start with the problem. And the point of that really is so that people don't make tech for the sake of tech, like I was saying before. And so what we started with this problem and the problem was that there are huge social barriers to people in recovery, you know, they're early in recovery and then they can't get away from environmental triggers like people they used to use with places that they used to use and they relapse. So when you start with a problem, your goal is to make a solution to that problem, and if our solution is to help people stop relapsing, well, that means that we have to scientifically prove it, right? And so one of the major setbacks that we kind of encountered early on was that in order to do that, we kind of have to treat this like an academic research project, which is what we're doing, but it's not necessarily conducive to starting up a really financially successful company. So We kind of are constantly dealing, I think, with that push and pull.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. So the hackathon led you to this concept that really was tackling the problem head on. But right now, you're just kind of in this mix where there's this push for the need to be financially viable out the gates, while at the same time solve the problem and it's just kind of trying to figure out where to go from there.
0: Exactly. And, and you know, I think we have had great mentorship as a young startup. And one of the, um, I started Hey Charlie from a, a personal experience, someone really close with me who I've watched him struggle with addiction for a long time. And uh, one of the suggestions that we get a lot of the time for like, how do we make this a revenue generating product right out the gates is people say to us, well, why don't you sell the app to parents of people with addiction? So addiction really has been affecting a younger population um, in the past several years, teenagers, people in their early 20s. And a lot of people, their first thought is, well, there are so many concerned parents, why don't you sell this to them, you could generate revenue quickly and help people. But what I know from my research, from my personal experiences, is that that will actually probably not be very effective because oftentimes the parent-child relationship when the child is the one struggling with addiction is the most strained. And it's very likely that our product would not actually be used by the person suffering because it was provided to them by someone who they don't trust or they don't feel that right. like they can talk to about their problems. And so there are just all of these things to consider the dynamics of the social dynamics and how to best kind of address these patients so that they feel that we are supporting them and we're not adding to the stigma that they feel.
1: No, that's such a great point. And it's, and this area is just such a challenging area. We, you know, it's, it could be called an epidemic in this country and we are definitely struggling for a solution on how to manage it. And I think just if you guys continue with what you're doing, the inevitable end will be that you'll find a niche. You'll find the group that you're going to be able to help and what will come out of that will be something viable financially as well.
0: Yeah, and I I think you raise a really good point there when you talk about a niche that we will serve because one thing that you have to realize as an innovator in this space, but I think really in any space, is that you will not solve the major problem that you are trying to innovate in uh you know we won't solve addiction we won't solve this epidemic but if we're good at what we do and we we do a deep dive into the place that we are really trying to impact hopefully we will make an impact in you know a subgroup of these patients it's a very very heterogeneous disease you know it's one of the only ones that spans the socioeconomic spectrum the way that it does, so it also needs a complex and heterogeneous solution, uh, which we hope to be a part of, and we we humbly recognize that we will not be the entire solution.
1: Yeah, no doubt. You got to take one bite at a time, and you're not gonna eat the elephant with one bite, as they say.
0: Exactly.
1: <laughs> Especially in healthcare, the healthcare elephant's not going anywhere. So, Emily, give no. us, <laughs> right, give the listeners uh, an example of maybe your your proudest leadership moment to date.
0: So, I think the whole experience of Hey Charlie, I think, has made me pretty proud because. What I've seen happen to us as a young company that me and my co-founders had kind of a variety of entrepreneurship experiences, but none of us were by any means, you know, serial entrepreneurs or, or very experienced, to be honest. And I think what I'm extremely proud of our team for doing is generating, I would really call a fierce momentum behind what we're trying to do. You know, in the past year alone, the number of kind of invitations that we've gotten to To speak to different types of groups that are trying to innovate in this space or who wants to be innovating in this space has made me really, really proud. I think one of our main missions as a company is not only help people with their physical health, but to also help reduce the stigma of addiction. So I think that every single time that I'm able to talk to an audience, no matter how big or small, in a way that, you know, I feel that they are open to talking about this problem and opening open to thinking about solutions is really what makes me the most proud because this problem's not going anywhere if we don't talk about it. So, I think just the overall very very warm reception that we've gotten has been incredible.
1: No, oh, that's really great. And so what would you say right now is an exciting project that you're focused on?
0: What we're really excited about right now, I would say there are two big projects actually. One is we are currently conducting a study in um, individuals who are in recovery in the Boston area. And the main focus of this study, this is kind of how thorough we're trying to be here, is we're not even looking at efficacy in this particular study. We are really focused on user experience. So we are doing this, this really big study to just get as much real patient feedback on our platform as we can to try to update it, you know, make the language something that they relate. And there are some kind of efficacy metrics in there as well, but they are more kind of patient experience related, less about physical relapses. So that's one big project I'm excited about because I think it's going to make our platform be really, really user-friendly and, and well-adopted. And then the second big project we're working on is we're working on some really exciting kind of back-end big data stuff that will help us clinically integrate, which clinical integration is kind of the other half of our platform. It's not just an app. It's also um, a platform for healthcare providers who treat these patients. And One of the biggest challenges that I have found in healthcare tech startups is clinical integration. Really hard to get into systems that already have a system and very, very overworked clinicians.
1: For sure. It's definitely the truth, Emily. And it sounds like you guys are really taking the user experience seriously and making sure that the language, that the way that the user interface is working, is working in such a way that it's going to help the patients be effective. And then on the other side, you're taking the extra steps and doing the work, the due diligence that it's required to help success and help these clinicians treat their patients that are using the app as well.
0: Exactly.
1: Well, good for you. I think this is an exciting project and I'm really intrigued to see how it unfolds. But again, just want to say kudos to you and your team for taking on this, this huge challenge.
0: Thanks all. We really appreciate it.
1: Yeah. And so this is the part of the of the interview where we do a one-on-one course. It's the ABCs of Emily Lindemer. <laughs> and we're gonna write out a syllabus. There's four questions in the lightning round. So I'll ask you the question and then you give me a prompt response. And then after the four questions, you'll recommend A book to the listeners. You ready?
0: Okay, I'm ready.
1: Awesome. So what is the best way to improve healthcare outcomes?
0: Talk to your end users as much as you possibly can.
1: Love it. What is the biggest mistake or pitfall to avoid?
0: I want to say not talking to your end users, but maybe that's (laughs) I would say um, not willing to be flexible, trying too hard to stick with an idea that you see the writings on the wall, it doesn't work, and you, you don't want to drop it you know, be willing to pivot, be willing to be flexible.
1: Awesome. How do you stay relevant as an organization despite constant change?
0: We try to talk to as many people as we can at all times. I think one of my favorite things right now is there is this brand new grassroots innovation in addiction medicine and mental health group that started in Boston and we go every time uh, just to see what's out there.
1: And what is one area of focus that should drive all else in your organization?
0: really, really the mission, as challenging as it is, and sometimes extremely scary to be working towards a goal that it just seems very far away to just kind of keep pushing through and think about the mission and think about all of the lives that we may be able to impact.
1: Awesome. And what book would you recommend to the listeners here at the end of the syllabus?
0: So I am a big reader. I love to read Mm -hmm. and although it's not necessarily the most uplifting book, um, just based on a conversation we just had. The book I recommend is um, called Dreamland. It came out either in 2014 or 15, um, and it is all about the opioid epidemic in North America, kind of the origins of it, where it came from, and I think it can really help people who only hear about it on the news hear about it in um, a very deep um, and profound way
1: dreamland Yes. fantastic and so to the listeners anything that we discuss today you'll see the show notes links to dreamland links to hey charlie links to cortical metrics and everything else that we discussed you'll find it in our show notes go to outcomesrocket.com slash emily That's E-M-I-L-Y. And you'll be able to find all of these things. So don't worry about writing them down. Just go ahead and visit us afterwards. Re-listen to the episode if you really liked it or missed something in it. You'll be able to find it there. So Emily, before we conclude, can you just share one closing thought and then the best place where the listeners could get a hold of you?
0: I really, really, truly believe this. I think that one of the things that holds people back, there are so many people out there with amazing ideas. I'm sure there are so many people who listen to this you have amazing ideas and they don't start just because it's such a huge hurdle and i would just say just do it um you know don't be afraid of how big of a challenge things are because you get out there and you realize that almost everyone is facing the same challenges and they're just kind of faking it a little bit <laughs> like every everybody this is a really really hard system to innovate in and I just encourage people to, you know, be brave and and put a foot forward. Um <laughs> great oh, words and, of
1: encouragement. Yeah.
0: <laughs> the best place to reach me, um, you can reach me at Emily at heycharlie.org. That's my email address. And I check it all the time.
1: Awesome. Emily, really appreciate your words of wisdom here and, and the words of encouragement for the listeners. I think it does take just courage and action. So be sure if you've got a solution, if you've got an idea, don't hold back listeners, don't hold back. It's holding back that really will, will prevent the system from improving. And we truly need your help to continue making this healthcare system better. So without further ado, just want to say thank you so much again, Emily, for taking the time to be on the show. We really appreciate it.
0: Thank you, Saul. This was a pleasure.
1: Thanks for listening to the
0: Outcomes Rocket podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at www.outcomesrocket.com for the show notes, resources, inspiration, and so much more.